Um, I don't really, you know, I think half a glass of wine, what's that going to do to me? I'm, I'm half Australian now, so <laughs> I need a, a whole... You need uh, half a bottle, not half a glass. I need an entire goon sack to even <laughs> touch the sides of my liver. Is that the uh, turn of phrase? Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that you're back in the office, there'll be a little bit more drinking maybe. Oh, yes. Now that I have a real job, uh, I am an employed individual now, shockingly. What's it like going back to the real world? I was in, typing in my room the other day and, and I was questioning whether I'd be able to enter society again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't so sure when I showed up in the office. I yeah. had my first day from home, so, uh, you know, that wasn't too bad. I didn't have the, the immediate culture shock and the sweat of like starting at a new job, not knowing yeah. what's going to happen. Meeting everyone. Yeah. You having to, to like... To humans there, right? You know what the issue is? Is like varying the strength of your handshake. Like ah, how okay. strong of a handshake is the acceptable strength? And also, yep. are my hands clammy? You know, these yes. are all things that I have to consider when I'm yep. starting a job. <laughs> and then your awkward moment where you don't know if you should shake hands or not like oh are yeah we shaking hands are we not shaking hands are we hugging like some <laughs> yeah, people actually hugging. go for a hug when they first meet you which is yeah. very strange <laughs> uh this is why i don't hang out with designers frequently so that's typically the too, group that likes hugs too touchy too touchy too feely yeah 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 we prefer our interactions clearly defined i prefer my very round developer friends, you know, <laughs> who refuse to do hugs under any circumstances. Yes, refuse, to, refuse to even meet in physical form. Yes, because we're both sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's respect, best. you know. <laughs> With respect. I respect that you are sweaty and you respect that I'm sweaty and nervous. <laughs> Better for everyone involved, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> well, that's good. So you got back into the office. How does it feel? Um, I suppose it's always it's always exciting, you know, you've got... New code base, new new technologies, new. It's all it's all new, isn't it? Uh, I mean, well, like you've never seen it before, is what I'm saying. The more things change, the more they stay the same. You know. Yeah, I think that's a song, isn't it? It is, uh, and you're yeah. a fundamentalist of of the software, anyway. Yeah, I'm a. Is fundamentalist a bad thing? I feel like that's. No. Isn't that like people who? Anyway, I don't know. Is it? What's know. a Christian fundamentalist? I feel like that's like a bad thing. context right yeah contextually all right a software fundamentalist yeah yeah anyway you have been called a software messiah before software masochist yeah masochist yeah that's maybe more uh, i think that's uh that's how i'll start introducing myself from now on i think that's yes. a better introduction then well, uh, the good thing is if you know the fundamentals then whichever code base you look at you're like oh yeah i know this pattern i've seen that before yeah I've seen the shitty code before. <laughs> what can be do? But you know what? No matter where you go, you're always surprised at whoever the fuck was the last person to touch the code base. I'm not saying this is where like happening where I work, but just in general. Yeah. Yeah. You measure like the quality of a code base by when you first open it, like the number of what the fucks per second. <laughs> <laughs> or by a minute like if if you're in the minutes you're like golden yeah yes yeah 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 looking through that code base and then trying to understand how it all works that's all fun right yes especially the older ones i'm working with a code base it's not even old really like a few years mm. but uh yeah it's always uh, a bit of an archaeology trip trying to understand i try to be very uh empathetic you know uh, uh, or have some empathy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Empathetic is probably not the right way to phrase it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what was this, what stress was this person under when like they wrote this or yes. did they even know better or could they have done better? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's an axiom where you just assume that, uh, whatever they did, um, they did to the best of their ability given the constraints and time. Right. Think so, or yep. they were just lazy fucks, which is possible as well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're just having an off day, right? Or yeah, an off week, or you never know. And the, that's the the universal axiom I live by uh, when looking at new code bases. One thing I I used to do this ages ago. I stopped doing it now. I would like read someone's code, and I'd be like, "Oh, why'd they do it like that? I'm gonna I'm gonna fix it." So mm. then I'd like <laughs> rewrite it day one, and then I'd get to the end, and I'd be like. Oh shit! That was, that's actually wrong. 
then I'll go back to the way they done it. I'll be like, oh, that's why they done it. Think <laughs> about how much you've learned though. That's good. <laughs> so now I've learned, I'm like, unless I'm 100% sure, I just leave people's code there. If it works, yeah. leave it. Yeah, it's very tough. It's definitely better to write new files. I think a lot of um, a lot of patterns around how we write software, like making lots of little files, all of this stuff sort of like lends to writing new files whenever possible, which is uh, which means you don't have to deal with old old code, which is yeah. uh, you know that's a benefit. You're never gonna like someone else's code. I only like my code. I like your code. Well. No, you're just a sycophant, though. <laughs> you can't say that. You're disproving my theory. I've been reading through your code in, in the back end, seeing as I've been adding so many back end features. Yeah, so you're in my old code base, essentially. Yeah, I'm Having not experiencing... Written. We're both experiencing the same thing. It's just... Excuse me? I'm, except I'm like saying, why the hell did James do that? And then, yeah, uh, there's more trust. I feel that's the 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 key difference. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I I as soon as I read your stuff, I'm like unwarranted trust, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> yes. Well, uh, but, like, um, what's the rate of what the fucks? Is it like one a minute, ten seconds? Well, let me tell you, there has been a few variable names where I was like, "Why did he call it that?" And then when I wrote my new file, I've like tweaked the variable name a little bit. So this will be yeah. interesting to. It'll be interesting to see, like, when you... Because you'll have to code review it, right? And you're going to be like, why did you call it that? And I'll be like, well, I have changed, like, some... I haven't changed any of your existing code because, like I said, I like to leave that behind. But when I'm writing the new code now, I've, like, taken your patterns and then maybe I'm just renaming it so it makes Makes more sense sense to me. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's good. And even changing it in slight ways helps you learn more about potentially even why that happened, so... But the under, underlying um, pattern is the same. I'm pretty much, I'm copy-pasting heaps of your shit. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> but I can, uh, I can. Well, well hopefully the, the patterns thing, work, so. And, and they're extensible, yeah. The thing that slows me down a little bit is I don't have the best muscle memory with type, uh, TypeScript yet. So like. What does that I mean? Look, well, when I look at TypeScript. I can um, I can look at a file and be like, I like the way this is written or I would change it or whatever. But when I have to write something from scratch, um, the code just doesn't like flow out of the fingers. Like I, I definitely work better if I've got existing code that I can copy from and then tweak it accordingly, if yeah. you know what I mean. Like even like when I'm setting up the constructors and doing like all the, um, the T syringe stuff where you have to inject all the dependencies. Yeah. Like, oh, how do we do this again? Like, my brain has to like pause for a second. Whereas yeah. if I've got one there, I was like, yeah, copy that, copy that, copy that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. No, that makes so sense. I'm learning. I'm going deeper into the TypeScript uh, world. I've been practicing all my, I've, I've been doing like an hour of self-improvement every day. This is my new thing, right? Oh, Kaizen. Is that what it is? Kaizen? Yeah. Kaizen is yeah. the, uh, I think it's in the Atomic Habits book. That's what yeah. sort of made it popular in Western culture. But it's like the, it's sort of like the Toyota method. And Kaizen is like a Japanese word. Uh, I, could, I, I think it just means improvement or something. Yeah. I don't speak Japanese. But uh, the concept is that uh, like if you, even if you work on a factory or if you're a garbage cleaner or a butcher, just try and improve your work by 1% or some extremely small uh factor every day like do something better or learn something every day that makes you better yeah because my old approach was like like i'm reading the domain driven design book at the moment by eric evans the blue book yeah the blue book and when it came in the mail i sat i like sat down for about 12 hours and just read straight yeah and then i and then i didn't pick it up again for two weeks and i'm like oh this is no good so now i've changed it where I, i read i just block an hour every morning and read dedicating some time yeah yeah, and it's like it's working so much better because I'm like building on those existing um, pathways. Like touching touching on the same thing every day is a lot better than revisiting it once every two weeks. I feel. Mm. Yeah, that does sound good. I tend to be a bit of a binger, which is unfortunate. Like uh, mm. I'll just have a Saturday and then I'll read a whole book and then yep. uh, you know I'll remember fifteen percent of it. But yeah, I would yeah. imagine you would learn better in that way. 
How do you actually uh, manage your time? Have you done like bullet journaling or anything like that? Or No, what's that? Uh, bullet journaling is what I do where I think I've described it to you before, but it's like uh, every day. Uh, it's really good for people with um, not the fancy style of bullet journaling, but the like very utilitarian one. Essentially, you write down everything you need to do for the day as little dots. So you put period and then what you're doing or even oh, repeated yeah. tasks. So reading a book, you would put uh, as a task for that day. And before you go to sleep for the night, you write out the bullet journal of what you want to do tomorrow. So you have like entries. This is very like, there's a lot more to it than what I'm describing, but um, it's uh, it's good for people with, you know, uh, ADD or like uh, addicted to Facebook or anything like that. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's many people addicted to Facebook anymore, but... Uh, now they're yeah. losing users. Yeah. No one's going on Facebook anymore. No. So what's your task management? How do you do that? I pretty much do that. I've got I've got like a section of um, things to do tomorrow, which is on. I just use like Apple Notes. Yeah, and I've literally yeah I've got bullet points what I'm doing tomorrow, and then I've got another bullet point of goals this week. So every Monday I'll just go through my. I've got some long term goals typed out, so I've got like development, sales, marketing, and just business general business stuff, and then in all of those categories I've got things that need to be completed. So I'll pull into my like goals to do this week. So I've got like a short list and then I normally either I'll work to that or if I need, if if the list gets too long, then I'll break it down into daily. Yeah. It sounds almost like uh, bullet journaling because there's even a concept of uh, having like uh, indices for different like objectives, long-term objectives and like pages for month long and year long objectives. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you might just have, yeah, have a look. Uh, there's a website I will, I'll look called it Bullet Journaling that uh, describes sort of the overall theory. And uh, even if you're already doing something similar, the sort of notation is quite uh, quite cathartic, I feel. So like mm-hmm. if you have to move something onto the next, so you write a period, right, a dot yeah. next to every task, and then you, you put an X through it if mm-hmm. it's done. And if you have to move it to the next day, you draw a line straight through it. So you actually maintain an every day it sort of forces you to prioritize and realize you're like procrastinating as well because you can look back through the history and see like oh i drew two lines like two days in a row i procrastinated on this object because there's uh, a yeah. there's a horizontal line through it yep. it's a yeah it's a pretty good um uh, in terms of annotation it's good but it sounds like that's pretty much what you already do so mm. yeah but um yeah the mornings have been fun the other thing too, I like doing it in the mornings because I feel like my brain is like active. But with the TypeScript stuff, it's been good because um, like things come up in the day and articles, like I think I shared it with you. There was an article that came up recently. It was like um, TypeScript features to avoid. Yes, yes, yep. Um, I didn't go, like I read the um, the article and it said, don't use enums and don't use namespaces and um, don't use decorators. There was one more thing. Yeah. And then I was going through the code base and I'm like, well, we use all this stuff. Yeah. It seems fine. <laughs> <laughs> he did have one caveat, but he's like, well, if you're using Typeform or some ORM and you need decorators, then it's fine. But so anyway, I was, I was like, well, I don't know, this seems weird. It was working fine for us. But then let me tell you. Yes. I got caught out with namespaces and enums. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, well, maybe, well, I am just a, maybe it's my poor development skills. My, my knowledge of TypeScript is not the best, but. Um, well, if it's what yeah. you told me before, it sounds like it's more of a, uh, so it sounds like, so we have uh, multiple packages and they all get built and they all reference each other, which is a tough thing, like in any code base, especially because um, when you have two TypeScript packages referencing each other, you can either have the type definitions emitted once the build is done, or you can tell TypeScript to read the actual files, like the source mm-hmm. code. If you tell it to read the actual source code, it means that some stuff won't be available when you actually run code. I think this mm-hmm. might be the issue that yeah. you experienced. Yeah. And then the other option is to only emit type declarations like at the end and reference like a compiled package in, mm. in like the, since you're referencing another package sort of next to it in the file tree, not like an NPM package or something. Yeah. So like, yeah, I think it's partially the build tooling that I've, uh, that I've set up. And it was easier for me because it meant that um, I don't need to run a lot of stuff immediately. 
Mm. TypeScript tells me 90% of the things that I need to to work on. And, mm. uh, you know, I can go 30 minutes without actually needing to run the test or anything. Yeah. Um, and by that point, I've run the build script, right? So, but yeah. uh, your your mileage may vary. I uh, I do uh, sort of agree with the enum thing. I think that's out of the list of stuff. So he says avoid enums, uh, decorators, private keyword, and namespaces. I think decor. Mm. Uh, sorry, which one was it? Enums is the one that I pretty much would avoid in future. The other ones I feel aren't that bad, and I've used quite a bit. So, so why would you avoid enums then? If obviously I was having the build time issue. Yeah, but why would you? Besides that, why? What's the other case to avoid them? Uh, I just don't really like the fact. So an enum in TypeScript, so the enum keyword is actually compiled. If you look at the actual like emitted JavaScript from the TypeScript, it's compiled into a little map from string to string. Mm. If you, you actually use uh, like string key to string value, worst yeah. case scenario is you've used a number and left it without and just like. So enum, whatever your enum name is, a comma b comma c, which would be behind those, if you do enum dot a, would be zero, which yep. sort of sucks. Like integer-based enums are somewhat pointless, I feel. They make yep. it harder to sort of see what's happening if you like console log something or if you have logs at all in a back-end process. Seeing a zero pop-up is like obviously hard. Like if you have a filter keyword on a response and it says all, it's very easy to tell what that is. If the filter keyword is a zero and then you have to figure out, oh, that's an enum. And then you have to read what is the order of the enums. Has the order of the enums changed since this code was deployed, right? It's a bit of a struggle. Yeah. And then also enums uh, in order to actually, so it's a map from string to string. If you actually do uh, a equals string a, um, but if you actually just try and pass a string in, which should be a valid operation um, because you should get undefined if you pass an unknown string, if it if it doesn't match one of the keys, yeah. it'll actually complain because it doesn't satisfy the actual type of the keys. So you right. have to cast it to any or something, which yeah. just feels very dirty in, yeah. in my mind. Or you have to like rewrite the same like TypeScript uh like conversion which is somewhat pointless i feel like there's no reason to do that like just use the like union type so a union of strings is pretty pretty much fine yeah yeah i think i prefer that as well maybe was enums more of a use case before the the string literal hit type i don't think that um i think the string union stuff so it's not related to the string literal thing where you can actually like build string types yeah. That's not, I don't think that's related. Because mm. um, you've been able to say like uh, a string is a constant for quite some time in TypeScript. Mm. Being able to assert that at, at like the type level has been much harder for a long time. Mm. But uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think that's, re- that's related to, um, to that. I think it's just they wanted to mimic, um, well, you know, it's Microsoft TypeScript. So they wanted to mimic uh, like .NET C sharp, yeah, right. like that sort of stuff. And I'm pretty sure this is like the same sort of thing they do there. Same with namespaces, same with like the way that they, you know, do classes and generics. It's essentially like they're trying to move uh, C sharp into type into JavaScript with TypeScript. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you get too object oriented on your TypeScript, it's like, hey, do you like object on oriented TypeScript? Maybe you should try dot net, net. Yeah. <laughs> which is actually an attractive proposition if it weren't See, for, there you go <laughs> for the microsoft word like logo on the front of it so yeah yeah but the the namespacing stuff um i had a little bit of an issue with that too i do like the namespacing yeah because i've done some um especially on our like api responses i've been able to put like a cl- client name uh, and then you know the response that we're or like the resource we're trying to get and then whether it's a request or a response so it it does like break up these um these like functions quite nicely it feels like it improves the communication of the code a little bit and uh obviously the whole reason why you would use types in the first place is to communicate to other people so it does feel nice in a lot of ways. It's not necessary in the beginning for most applications, but um, we were definitely getting to the point where we had like 
there were there was like a create user request in like three packages and yeah. it was like zero create user uh like create user and create and there was one other like we were just like stepping on the toes of the other packages and because yeah. it, it's a bit weird the way javascript resolves packages like actually namespacing those objects into some object sort of helped it meant that um the autocomplete wouldn't just like try and import the entirely wrong thing. Mm. And it also means, um, for example, I had like a database package and I felt like when I, so this was when I first wrote um, the application that we both worked on. Um, I felt like I needed to call everything like DB user and DB like employee. But if Mm. I had namespaced that package, then I would not have needed to like change the names of those things within the actual package. I could have just made a namespace export, which would have felt better in the long term. But like, obviously, if we have a database package and the actual application and both export a user, it's going to be very hard in the same uh, file to tell what's what, especially if you're like mapping between the two. So that was sort of my rationale for going for those. I do like it. The... um one, I did start like reading about it and a lot of people have said that they're using modules now instead of uh, the namespaces. But one thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, when you import like IntelliSense automatically imports um, a file for you? Yeah. You know how sometimes, depending on how you've structured your files, if you if you export like an object from like a root, file but then nested in that you've got folders nested directories and folders yeah you know how sometimes it like the intellisense pops up and it gives you like all these different options to import the same object or the same function but from all the different files where because of the index file yeah yeah i uh i think uh i think that's actually there's an open issue for that on typescript oh, okay. i don't um i don't think there's a good solution as of yet, I really have limited the amount of indexes that I use whenever possible now. So I, I'm much less a fan of the index file for a few reasons. One being that there is actually runtime cost to having an index file because uh, especially in Node.js, you actually have to open and load that index file. So it's actually like a os.open on, on yep. boot, which isn't great for serverless, right? So it makes everything a bit slower the first run. Uh, and then also, I feel like you can unknowingly have dependencies on the load order based on the index file that you might not have had if you just directly imported a class. So, yeah, I've, I've sort of attempted to remove indexes where possible. If I'm, if I'm making a package for public consumption, I think it's not too bad. Mm. Uh, but in, like, an actual application, having, like, every component for example in a react app have an index and a component and a set of hooks just no longer feels helpful and actually it seems bad so yeah 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 i didn't feel like i was getting much value out of the index files either so it felt like more hard work yeah uh and it's also sort of like a it's a it's a way to hide stuff as well which is a bit unfortunate the index file so uh some some files that are index.js, and I, I even did that, or index.ts, I've even done this. Some of them have code that actually runs or like does something or like is the export, like wraps it. So for example, you'll see like container com- components in React will be in the index file in some code bases. And then like the display component will be the actual like uh, nav bar component. Uh, that's just even more confusing because then you'll go to another part of the code base and the index will just be a list of exports. And then in another part, it's going to be like an actual fully fledged, like there's a test next to it for the index file. So it's very, yeah, it's very hit or miss. I'm not sure I like the um, the entire JavaScript index file thing. Mm. Yeah. Will modules help resolve that? Well, the module is just, no, I don't think so. Like a module is just uh, the file essentially like it's just a file so there's no i don't think there's a difference there's no there's no um proposals to like change that in any way no i don't think so like the to 
Uh, and uh, you know, I'm not actually a JavaScript developer or TypeScript developer anymore. So, oh, what are I'm you? A, I'm a super cool GoLang developer. Oh, oh, <laughs> I write sorry. shitty GoLang services now, not <laughs> shitty TypeScript services. <laughs> but uh, from my memory, like the entire module system is just more of a way for the front end to load code, less like a change to the way CJS works or anything. There, yep. there will be no visible change to my knowledge um, okay. between like the common JS stuff and the um, and the way that like uh, the front end uh, sees it, you know, mm. CJS is still using require, so there's there's yep. no difference, and there's no difference in organizing code, and the module system is also where the like index sort of stuff comes comes from, which I'm not a fan of. So mm. yeah, but the last ones the um, the generators we got them everywhere, so like they're not going anywhere soon. Generators, generators. Oh, sorry, dec- decorators. I mean, not generators. Well, I mean. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't see very many good use cases for generators. It's one of those things where I'm like desperate to find a reason. Do you, well, do you know what I mean? Dan, Dan Abramov tweeted the other day, and he's he said like he'd ne- he's never used a generator in production code. I have used a generator in production code for sure. Yeah, but only because it was a new feature, and I was like, I want to use this somewhere. <laughs> you forced the generator. Yeah. In there. <laughs> well, there's some use cases like, oh, if you want like an async uh, iterator, right? Yep. So like if you're iterating, uh, actually, there is an async generator somewhere in the code base that you are working on right now. Oh, really? I'm oh, pretty sure for like a background yeah. task, it's somewhere. Mm. Uh, yeah, but no, I could. I actually literally refactored into using that from a simpler way of doing it. So like just a, you can just use like a for loop with an await inside of it and it's yeah. the same thing. So it's a bit pointless. You need to, you need to test the boundaries of these tools so you can be like, you know why not to use them, right? Like you write the generator and you use it, and then you'd be like, yeah, I hate this. Then we'll do it again. Well, not that I hate it. It's just pointless. <laughs> I don't yeah. see maybe why it exists. Maybe not. They hate it's yeah. too strong, but yeah, you write it and then you're like, no, I don't need to use this. Yeah. JavaScript is getting a lot of features that are just, uh, I don't really see why these are important for us to have. Mm. Some of them are nice, like the uh, three dot, you know, the spread operator. That's yep. nice. But uh, mm. yeah, like generators, I think those came in the same like batch of updates and I just don't see a reason mm. for them to exist. The private keyword um, thing where it's like a hashtag in front of a field. I don't really yep. see why we need that relative yep. to anything else. It's, yeah. Well, isn't it because they've added the private variables to JavaScript now? No, but I mean, why did we even add private variables to JavaScript in the first place? Oh, I don't okay. really, I don't really get it. Potentially, maybe there's some interaction with object.values or something, but uh, I, I really don't think you're going to get away from actually reading the implementation of like an object. So, what if you want to, what if you want to prevent the mutation of that? value from outside the object um then use something like typescript like there's always going to be a workaround it's it's a bit like how um there's always going to be some way to evaluate evaluate code in the context of something else also a lot of people say this stuff as if private keywords enforce some like sort some sort of like security boundary like Mm -hmm. oh what if some rogue package loads into your application (laughs) and tries to modify your private values (laughs) this uh, that's not an actual like edge in terms of security. So uh, yeah. the only thing would be like communication. At which point, uh, I'm not I'm not seeing the actual benefit. Uh, there's definitely a runtime cost to it because it does have to like you know allocate an entire like private you know f- private field somehow. I don't remember the exact cost, but there is a, a definite cost adding private fields with the hashtag um, mm. parameter. So, well, the nice thing about the private keyword inside TypeScript is that as a developer, if I'm looking for what methods are available on a class or an object, if I could do like use IntelliSense, it's only going to show me what I can use. But I won't get that benefit in JavaScript anyway, will I? No, you won't really get that much in terms of IntelliSense. So there's not, I'm not. So the private keyword is actually good because it's something that's compiled away and is, does nothing essentially in production. I don't see any reason why that would be bad. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, that's true. So, like, having that annotation and, and, like, private and static and all these things sort of makes sense for what they're doing. Static is available in vanilla JavaScript as well because that just means it's a class method. But uh, the private one in particular, it makes sense in 
TypeScript, but I really see no value to it in terms of, I know, I know like it'd be the same thing with generators. Like someone would be able to say, oh, what if you wanted to do this? Like iterate through asynchronously, iterate through a list or a, or, or paginate something. Mm. But uh, yeah, there's a simpler way to do it more than likely. Mm. And there used to be a pattern of doing like, um, what was it? An underscore in, in front of, yeah. uh, and like, it's the same thing. Like, if the person's not going to respect the fact that there's an underscore, they're not going to respect the fact that there's an there's a hashtag in front of it. They're just going to change the field name. So yeah. I don't really see it. It does make it harder to consume classes that you don't own, though, which is sad in a way. Like if if a if a package exports a class, you could say, "Oh, you shouldn't be mutating or reading the values of the internal um, methods or yeah. or parameters." But it is like a way to solve a problem. Uh, that I wouldn't true. have to fork a package for. So I don't know. I'm not a huge fan. That's a good point, actually. I didn't even think about that. What if What if there is an actual reason you do want to get in there and change something? Yeah, yeah. that's right. If you add a big, like, note on top of that, uh, like the... So, for example, in Ruby, it's the same sort of thing. Like, you might on occasion need to read a private variable, but you could add a note to the gem file or to the actual class or code where it's reading it as a note to say we we are highly dependent on this version and you need to check this. Mm. So it's even easier with TypeScript, but because uh, you can actually like see the private fields on the, the class. But uh, mm. anyway, yeah. And what about the um, decorators? Decorators are too valuable to throw away, I feel. Um, they're just I like think, an oversight in a way. I think their point is that don't use them until it gets accepted into the actual javascript yes uh, that's that's true i i do agree in a way um but there will be decorators in it at the end of the day uh they will probably be extremely similar to what we have now um Mm. because every every language every like object oriented language has decorators and they do essentially what the javascript decorators do like the the class two proposal stage two proposal Yep. So I don't really see a reason to not use it. Uh, don't don't write a lot of them. Like, don't write heaps of them. Like, don't write a thousand. Like, use the package that actually uses the decorators. And the day that um, there is finally something in JavaScript or TypeScript that uses decorators, then you can transition to that. But uh, no. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, there's so much... There's so many reasons why you would want to use uh, like a decorator to add metadata to a class or something. Like I wrote an entire like serialization library off of decorators. And I think that's like easily one of my favorite libraries that I've used. So I don't know. Yeah. Designed. Yes. Yes. TS dash designed. Pretty good for anyone. Anyone listening, go star it. (laughs) GitHub.com slash James Apple slash designed. Actually, I had to hop in there the other day because I there was one decorator you had called memoize.all and I'm like, what yeah. the fuck does this memoize.all thing do? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, designed is sort of just like the you like the toolbox that I use for a whole bunch of stuff that I've written. So it's yep. got like uh, memoizing and I think there's a logic package that I use for auth on some stuff and also for like building conditionals dynamically. There's uh, like some entities and uh, what else? Optionals, all that sort of stuff where it's like, I don't want full on functional programming. I don't want to import Ramda and uh, what FPTS, but I still want, you know, to have an optional and a result type. So yeah, that's where that stuff goes. So why did you, um, as a question, diving into that memoize.all functionality, Yeah. why do we need that? Because I I see you use it in, in our auth service a little bit to memoize some tokens? Yeah. What's the use case there? Why are we doing that? So uh, you have a method and you want to cache the result of the method. There's option A is you have like a variable that is on the class, for example. So underscore, uh, so you have a method called git user, right? And then you have another uh, variable on the class private called underscore user and you have to save a promise to that and then you have to check is there already a promise right because we're talking about async code now um in order to memoize do you know what memoizing is in the first place i should back up a little bit so i watched i watched a video the other day about react memo yeah 
And there's like, there's two in React. There's like use memo and then there's, um, there's another one, React. I think it's just react.memo or something like that. React.memo is, I yeah. can't remember. But um, the video I was watching was talking about how they don't actually memoize in the way that memoize means. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, it's just uh, given a set of like inputs. Uh, if, if we've already run the calculation and we know that the function is essentially pure, let's say, we, know, we don't need to actually run the calculation again. So in our case, if there is an HTTP request coming in and we have already parsed the header and we have already gotten the user from that header, we do not need to do all that again on the second run. So uh, memoize.all in that package, uh, instead of looking at the very, like the the parameters to the function it just says we know that each time that this method is called it's going to be the same result so just return what we've already gotten and because it's a level up and it's on a decorator it actually wraps the promise regardless of whether it's a rejection or a call there's a lot of like lodash.memoize i've had massive production bugs from because people didn't understand that if it rejects it's not cached and also if it's called while it's being resolved it doesn't necessarily set that cached value. Like you really need to understand how your memoize function works. So memoize.all is essentially like uh, it always memoizes the first promise that comes out of that function and returns that. So if it's thrown uh, or if it's a failure if it, or if it's a success, it's going to be cached. So if we call it 20 times and it's failed, we're not going to call the database 20 times. We're going to call it once and parse the header once. So that's what we it use does. it for... Um, data that's intensive on the CPU, is that right? Like calculations that are CPU intensive? Is that where we use it the best? That doesn't matter. Like it does something that we don't need to do twice, right? Uh So looking up a user and calling the database and saying, find me user with... So an example of memoization in general would be... um, like uh, looking up a user potentially for a single request, you might want to memoize, if I've already gotten user one and two different places in the code ask for user one, I can return the same object potentially. That might be a bug in some code bases, but it might be standard behavior in others. Uh, so yeah, that, it's just a decorator that does that for you. So, Just looking at it here, it looks like um, you're memoizing the payload of a JWT. So to get a payload from a JWT, I'm guessing that might be a little bit, it would so be intensive, would, yeah. Intensive, yeah. But uh, so it could also be intensive. It could also be just that it takes a while. So it could be it an external while, API yeah. call, right? So yeah. we're calling Postgres and saying load the user. So yeah. you would want to memoize that. So you're not. Ever- so for example, we asked for the like, is the current user in a hundred different places in the application, right? We don't pass it as a as a like a variadic parameter to every method call. So uh, it's just simpler, essentially. Because now we know we know for a fact that each request has a authenticated user attached to it, or has none, right? In which case, it's a failed promise, uh, and then we just cache that result, whether or not it's a failure or a success. So, so if I call identity from the database and get a user out, is that memoized? Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. probably. Could, yeah, I I don't remember could, the code base, but yes, I'll have to have a look because today I like changed my code to not call for that twice because I thought it's probably calling the database twice. But now that I know about memoization, yeah. I'll just be calling that sucker everywhere. I won't even care. Well, in the same like unit of code, uh, yeah. go ahead and, you know, call it once, right? Because then yeah. there's less to read. Uh, yeah. You don't need to do like an await everywhere. But uh, for example, in like Rails, right? It's a, They do the exact same thing. So they have uh, on the controller, there's a method called or a parameter, whatever you want to call it. They're pretty much the same thing in Rails, but uh, called current user. So it's like controller.currentuser, which will parse it and then save it as whatever the current user is. And that's essentially the same thing we're doing with that um, identity class is what I called it, so mm. which is the identity of the person for the request. Yeah. Yeah. Every time I dig deep, but there's little like Easter eggs hidden through this whole code base. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm going through the same thing that, that you're going through right now. <laughs> I like digging in. I'm like, oh, what's this? Oh, okay. All right. Dig yeah. into that. Open up design, have a bit of a look, get confused. Just go back to doing my normal stuff. What's inside the uh, Easter egg? It could be either shit or chocolate. You never know until you <laughs> take a bite. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I think most of it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, this. I feel like it's in an okay state. There were definitely some uh, in-progress refactorings that I uh, have not finished, but that's every code base. But, uh, yeah. We'll get to those. I'm not ashamed of it. It's all right. Yeah, it's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, We'll get to those at some stage. I'll try and refactor, maybe. Here's the thing. I've seen some code bases, and, uh, man, it's not bad. (laughs) 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 I guarantee you. (laughs) There's end-to-end test coverage, so, yeah. Actually, the, end to, the end-to-end tests have been quite good, actually. It, I, enjoy, like, I enjoy writing the tests. Yeah. Take away every other aspect of that code base and give me end-to-end testing, and I would be happy, I think. <laughs> and make it easy. Like, easy end-to-end testing makes the speed of development so much faster. So, Well, the great thing is, um, well, you, you've done all the hard work setting up the actual test framework. Um. So it's quite easy now. I just, like, if I want to run it, if I want to create an end-to-end test, I literally call a function called setup test. I'm pretty sure and it pulls everything in for me, like makes a database. Postgres, marks, there's a yep. context, yep. And uh, it's, uh, it's relatively simple. You just sort of have, there is a little bit of magic, but uh, you just have to trust the magic. And if you can trust the magic, then uh, it works out pretty well. So. Is this your magic or from... A library used or something? No, it's um. So I specifically stayed away from. I you'll notice that we used Mocha, um, yep. which is uh, like a uh, a test runner framework. Mm. Uh, I use that in particular because it meant that I didn't have to rely on Jest's abstractions or anything mm. like that. I yep. really hate Jest um, because it makes it so complicated to write any abstraction specific to your code base because you have to like you have to make like a Jest abstraction, not like just. I want to run a database, but like I want to run a database, but also it's a Jest database, which Uh, I'm not really a fan of, like the amount that Jest wants to own of your code. Um, So yeah, all of the stuff is literally, I wrote um, a set of packages called test utils, which I wrote um, like just a way to boot Postgres using test containers. And then at the start, it will... Uh, call and sort of memoize the result of starting a container and if there's already a postgres container it'll give you that one or it'll boot it so yeah are we talking about a docker container or a, a docker container yes uh-huh but uh test containers is a a, a very good interface to docker because it actually like cleans up after the fact as well so mm. yeah use something with called Mo- ryuk with mocha yeah i was looking at that the other day it looks like it just calls the test files is that right it's quite it looked quite simple. Like you call Mocha with the test files yeah. and it just runs them. Is that right? Uh, so I did, pro- that's probably the most complicated Mocha setup you'll see, what I've done, uh, because I wanted to do something special that I don't remember. Potentially coverage or, s- I think I wrapped it in my own CLI because I was passing a lot of the same arguments to a couple different services. Mm. Um but yeah, it, it's a CLI tool that will look for a pattern. So like star.test.js and then call, yeah, call Mocha. It injects in the, in the current version of it, it injects the, you know how there's the describe and it blocks inside of there? Yeah. Those are yeah. just functions, right? They're not magic. Like mm-hmm. it's literally a JavaScript function. You can console.log describe and it'll show you what the function definition is. Yeah. Um, and then that's it pretty much. And it's one process. Jest Who runs as describe. Does hmm? Mocha in, uh, yeah. inject the describe? Okay. Mocha owns describe it uh, before each all of those. Ah, oh, okay. So that's that's like a test runner framework would be what yeah. that is. And then on top of that, we also use Chai, which is a assertion framework. Which me, which mm-hmm. that's the thing where you go uh, dot should eventually dot equal dot five, you know, or yep. whatever. Yeah. That always blows my mind. You know how you can chain all of those um, assertions like expect x to be 2.b.an.instance? Mm. But then I was thinking like maybe the word to and the word b are like logical math operators. I was trying to convert. I don't know if this is wrong or not, but I was yeah. trying to think in my head like does two in English mean like some character in maths. Is that oh, like T O dot T O. Yeah, like oh, T O. No. Like because otherwise how does it how does it allow you to do all those chaining 
like chain those methods one after the other and then assert something like surely it's like a logic becomes like a logical operator or like um well uh i I think it should right what's the first word in the matcha is it should or I can't remember. But anyway, it injects something. So do you know how everything in JavaScript comes off of the object prototype? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. So everything inherits from object. Like even, I believe, nil inherits from object. I could be wrong. I think undefined does not. But uh, anyway, Uh, everything comes off of the big O object. And the way that it works is it on object, it defines, I think the method should. And then from there it caches itself and it creates like uh, a factory for building an assertion. And so there's a whole bunch of words that are like nothing words, which are like dot should and dot to and dot b, which are essentially just like communicating to you, the person reading the test better. Um, So you can write English. And then there's ones that actually do something, which is like the actual assertion. So you have dot to, dot b, dot, equal right and equal is the thing that actually is the magic that does something but Mm. uh it's just a way to make it read more like english so yeah let's say you go 2.b yeah and then you change it to 2.not.b so the not is yeah inverting it right so then the not must have some kind of logical to logical expression to say like flip it the other way maybe. Well, you're building... So essentially, uh, it's like a factory method where you can just continue to add assertions and continue to add... You could do dot, not, 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 not. And I Mm. I believe you could at least. And that would just invert, 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 right? It would just stack those up. I'm going to try it. Can you do expect to dot, not, dot, not, B? Like not... Probably. I would assume so. Yeah. So this is all based off of, did you ever, um, did you ever do RSpec at all with Ruby? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. So RSpec is like the, the father of all test frameworks, right? And that's sort of the way that it works. Uh, except it's a bit different because they have like a space between it because Ruby has methods that are called, um, without, without parentheses, Mm. but, uh, JavaScript doesn't. So that's that's pretty much it but all of this stuff like the the method behind the madness comes from rspec which is like a bdd framework which is quite interesting if you've if you've had a a read and their key like objective is to make the tests read like english a lot of tests from like the java world and remember ruby was like the opposite of java at the time right it was like the anti-java so uh junit and all these test frameworks were all like um all of the assertions are like mathematical. They're not for people. They're not like to communicate to English speaking human beings, right? They're to communicate to the computer, the assertion that you're trying to make at that very time. The whole chai and RSpec like assertion library kind of thing is designed to make it as legible as possible and uh, add as much fruit as you want to the, uh, to the assertion to make it like easy to read after the fact. So that's why I typically use those. Yeah. Our testing's been good. I wouldn't mind adding some. I've added one integration test. There's no unit tests, but. There are unit tests. There's not many, though. Not many, no. There's no. There's no. um, Well, actually, there are several. um, But uh, there's no, like, complex algorithms or anything, right? So, what is the benefit of a unit test for most of the code? It's probably pretty minimal. I was almost going to write a unit test and then I was thinking the other day, I'm just going to be like making sure that TypeScript's working so I don't really think I'm going to add any value. So I'll just skip it. Yeah. If you have um, a piece of code that has no dependency on a database, then that's sort of fine. Like if you're writing uh, like a logger, you could theoretically write a unit test, I suppose. And that's not too bad. Like mocking out the console output Mm. is okay to me. I don't feel bad about that. But if you have any service that communicates through Postgres at all, if you are not actually running that against Postgres, your test is almost certainly useless. Mm. Uh, And you are encoding, believe it or not, your expectations upon, for example, the repository without running that repository, right? If you're calling a repository from that service. Mm. So I really 
don't see a lot of benefits. If you find a circumstance where you're like, I want to test this service in isolation, you've probably got code in there that should not be in that service and should be in a function or some helper, right? Mm. Like a validation, right? If the validation only needs like a string and a number to operate on, then pull it out and test that as a unit. But do not test like, don't mock everything out. Mocked tests are... So it's such a strong tool that we have used so irresponsibly. A lot of the code bases that I walk into have used mocks extremely heavily in everything. And by the end of the day, they've tested like the way that things communicate to each other, but they have not effectively tested the entire application at all. And you will have a 100% green test suite and have an entirely like crash at boot application. So, (laughs) yeah. I don't think it's not ideal. Yeah. So. Well, you live and you learn, right? Well, this is also from a big journey for me going from like uh, TDD initially um, and thinking that was like the gold standard and realizing mocking and building your programming interface before you build what matters to your end user is probably shit for everyone and makes you build a worse interface. So now I do like a BDD out in sort of framework instead so yeah you've nailed it when you said you're the journeyman now you're on the journey and i am a mitten <laughs> <laughs> you're like the samurai on the journey a ronin code uh, ronin, a samurai yeah. no you're a, you're a ronin i i have someone who's in charge of me <laughs> i think i've got kpis maybe i don't even know <laughs> <laughs> kpis and um Objective OKRs. OKRs. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. You failed yesterday. Did I? Yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't even realize. Oh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm talking out of turn. I'm not sure. No, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'll, well, I'll ask my manager. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, but yeah. Very self-conscious the- now. That's fine. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um. Well, you're on the journey now. You can weed through the forest, forge your own path, add those tests. You know, add the tests that you want to add to the project. That's so true. Make the make the code the way you want the code to be. Be the change you want to see. Be in the, the world. change you want to see. Is that what you wanted That's to say? Exactly what I'm it was in there. Somewhere. Are you trying to end the Thank podcast? <laughs> Have you pressed the music button yet? Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Well, thanks for that. Be the change you want to be as an individual. As the samurai walking through the forest of code. Yep. Hello to everyone that I work with. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you for listening. As well. No one talks on the Discord anymore. No. We've offended everyone, so they're all gone. We don't talk about serverless, so there's no hype. I don't complain about CloudFormation because I don't do any DevOps anymore. Uh, What am I? I'm no one. I'm nothing now. Why do uh, I exist? (laughs) Big question. (laughs) To be answered in the next episode of Unruly Software. That would have been good if like that was the actual end of the song. uh, (laughs) It just went a little bit too long this time. (laughs) But timing was off a little bit. But we're still improving. Say it now, say it now. I think this is it. I forgot what I was going to say now. On the next episode of Unruly Software. Same unruly channel, same (laughs) unruly time. Thank you. It's a Batman reference. Goodbye. Goodbye.